Hey, I'm your host, Lamar L.A. Smith, and welcome to another episode of the Jack of All Trades podcast. Today, I'm with Marcus Chan, an expert in B2B marketing and founder of the Six Figure Sales Academy. He's been featured in Yahoo Finance and Forbes, and he's also considered one of the best sales experts by LinkedIn. And funny fact, so I don't know if you know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Marcus has his own personal treadmill underneath him right now. So if you see him walking <laughs> in the middle of the episode, it's because he's trying to get his steps in. <laughs> That's true. I usually do pause it for these interviews, but that is true. I am standing on my treadmill right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I still can't get over that. It's still funny every time I think about it. But today we're not going to talk that much about a treadmill we're going to talk about how he became not only a big time expert in b2b marketing but how he leveraged his knowledge and started his own business but obviously because this is a college podcast i am curious to know what what college did you go to because i forgot to ask you that when we started yeah i went to a university of oregon hmm okay 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 so hold that thought. All right. Before, because <laughs> I'm going kind of out of order now that I think about it. Before we get to your time at Oregon, I want to know how was your childhood? Like, how did all that pan out? Yeah, you know what? It was it was a good childhood. I, I grew up first off, so that was cool. But uh <laughs> you know, it's uh so I was I was the uh, middle child of two uh Chinese and Taiwanese immigrants. And so they actually came to America with absolutely nothing. So growing up, you know, my parents had a very small restaurant. So we actually grew up very poor and we all pitched in growing up. So, you know, early on, you know, I started working at the, at the restaurant at the age of five years old, helping out, cleaning tables, working back of the kitchen, serving customers all the way through. And that was just part of my childhood. That was very normal. It was basically work and school, work and school. Now it was very, very normal. So because of that, just growing up, you just always are, you, you find yourself always being busy, always being productive. So as a kid, it was definitely, uh, it was a different than a lot of kids growing up because on weekends or after school, kids say, hey, I'm gonna go play here, I'm gonna go do this. I'm like, I'm gonna go to work. <laughs> and they were looking kind of funny. <laughs> and uh, you know, at the time as a kid, you don't appreciate some of those lessons you learn because you want to go out, you want to have fun, you want to do what everyone else is doing. But later on, you realize as you get older, I learned so many key lessons just about life and you know perseverance and work ethic that really have helped me in my career, in my personal life, and just overall, just my life across the board. So uh, overall, I think if you'd asked me how's my childhood growing up as a kid, I'll be like, oh, it was a tough childhood. But I look back and I see that whole experience as a time that was full of gifts that taught me a lot of core values that still serve me quite a bit today. Yeah, hindsight is definitely 2020 for sure. And I think it's like one of those things that when you're a kid, you may not like certain things. A quick analogy could be like vegetables to people, palates change over time as we get older, right? So you don't like vegetables when you're younger, but as you get older, you may like them just because your palate naturally grew up and it changed. So like when you're a kid, 
you may think certain things suck or not in your favor, but then you realize when you get older, you're like, dang, those were some very valuable skills and ideals that I learned at that age. But I may have just took it for granted or not really put it in context because my focus wasn't at any of those things that I were learning at the time. Yeah, exactly right. So I think a real good example is, you know, I think part of it was just the nature of the environment, but you know, growing up since we didn't have really any money, whenever we wanted anything, maybe a new toy or whatever was cool, we weren't able to just go and buy it. So there's always this delayed gratification. So it was, it was like, you know what, if I wanted whatever new toy was out, I would work hard, save the money up. And even though I wanted it at that moment, I may not be able to buy it for months, if not a year, or even buy it at all. So that was really important being able to learn delayed gratification because especially in life and in B2B sales, most of the time it's not instant gratification of being able to close deals ASAP or starting off immediately having success. It took hard work, perseverance and growing up and knowing you may have to do work today and not be able to see the benefit for literally months or if not years to come. So that was one key lesson right there that I learned quite a bit as a kid. That's, I mean, that's a very valuable lesson, like you said, as far as learning delayed gratification, because I think delayed gratification is a concept that any successful person, not even just entrepreneur, has to learn how to be great at. Because if you're constantly focusing on, okay, how can I, you know, give myself that endorphin rush at that moment, then what it does is, is create a scenario where you're not as productive because if you did everything based off of how you feel, then nothing would get done. That's right. Cause sometimes right. you don't want to do the work. Sometimes you do feel like you want to do the work. Sometimes you want to do the work, but you just need that extra oomph. And if you prioritize the work and doing what needs to be done, then when you want to do something, you can do it instead of only having certain options of what you want to do. That's right. And it's being able to do things even if you, if you see zero gain immediately. You know, and I think about this, for example, health is such a great example. Let's just say if you are severely out of shape and you want to get a six pack or get down to say a seven, eight percent body fat if you're a male. Well, if, you, if you're running, say, 25, 30 percent, you know, body fat, nothing wrong with that. But to get to that point, you may have to eat very healthy and work out not just for a day or for a week or for a month, maybe months at a time to be able to create sustainable results to get to that point. And you may see zero, especially the first month, zero changes in your body until more time compounds. And that's when most people usually start giving up. Many people are great at starting, but very few people can keep going. Whew, that is... That is very, 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 very true as far as like the keeping on. Cause I think, how, how would it be put? My mentor told me uh, repetition is the mother of success. So if you want to succeed, then you have to get great at doing the monotonous or the boring stuff which involves repetition. That's right. Now, going back again to college, obviously, you got into sales after that, but I want to know how did your time at Oregon kind of lead you to wanting to do sales after college? Like, yeah, what, so what was that path like? I wish I could say, you know what? When I was in, sc in school, I suddenly realized I wanted to be in B two B sales. I want to do this, and I saw this light, and I had this major epiphany. 
that was definitely not the case. Um, you know, going into college, initially, my plan was actually to become an architect. My parents had wanted me to be a doctor or lawyer or whatever. I didn't want to do any of those things. And I was actually, I grew up drawing, doing a lot of art. So my parents were like, well, maybe you should be an architect because, you know, you can do model drawings, etc. So I actually had my whole application filled out for architecture school. And then I did a job shadow before school started for college, my first day of college. And I realized there's nothing that I wanted to do. So I literally threw my application away, if you will, and uh, just went in undeclared. And I really didn't know what I was going to do. And when I was going to school, you know, eventually I ended up graduating with a marketing degree. Uh, but even before then, I remember halfway through, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. But I knew it was probably a good idea to get an internship. That's what I just knew. So I ended up getting an internship. It was a business internship. It was like it was focused on sales and management. I still had no idea what I was going to do. I did the internship, and it was really interesting because at that point, uh, I realized I was actually okay at sales. And what I mean by that was part of my responsibilities because it was for a major rental car organization. They're a huge, huge Fortune 500 company, and. I was their top salesperson. I sold the most insurance out of everyone. I'm like, wow, okay. I had no idea. I'm like, okay, well, I just did exactly what they told me to do. And I, I just ex executed it and I got results and I was their top person out of like literally, you know, hundreds of people. And that was really neat to, to see that. But even at that point, I wasn't like, oh, I'm pretty good at sales. I'm gonna go into sales. Like that wasn't still a thing. And I remember before I graduated, I remember I was, I was really nervous. I wanted to have a good job. And I went and I interviewed a lot of different companies. And I was really fortunate. I actually had five job offers before I graduated. And they ranged anywhere from having a 29500 base salary up to a $60,000 base salary. And they ranged from all types of roles from B2B sales to working in banks to being an analyst to financial advising, whatever. So it was a mixture of different things. And uh, I remember I turned down all the other opportunities, went for the lowest paying one at 29500 and that was a B2B sales role. But it wasn't because I said, hey, you know what? It's a B2B sales role. That's why I'm going to do it. It was because a couple of things. Number one, I saw the opportunity that if I was able to do well in that role, I was able to build something from scratch to be able to take, you know, a startup division of a major company and build something up and maybe put my, my name on it. So I, felt, I, I love the legacy concept behind it. Like, that sounds really <laughs> cool. Number two, the, the leader that, that or, or the director of the organization, I, I knew because he had hired me in a different vision, so I trusted him. So I knew he would develop me and make me better. So I saw as a huge opportunity to really increase my own skills, become a better version of me, but also hopefully just learn some key skills across the board that's gonna give me some more clarity on what I wanted to do in my life. Because at that point still, I still had no idea. So at that point, once I went into that role and I dove right in, um, it was hard. It was really hard. It was really hard. I really struggled, but I learned a lot of lessons and eventually figured it out and had success. But it, I wasn't a linear path in college where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to follow this path. I'm going to go get my business degree. I knew what I want to do. Not at all. Not at all. It was as I, as I had an idea what I wanted to do. I made decisions and I took action. And once I took action, a result would emerge, which allowed me to make other decisions. And eventually it got me to the point of deciding to be in B2B sales because of that. Hmm. That makes sense. Cause I know like just comparing my own trajectory with college that I thought that I was gonna be an engineer because in a similar instance, my family, oh, you went to a technology school, you did engineering there. 
you'd be perfect as an engineer. And then I get the school and I see a little bit more about what engineers do because I had an engineering class and it was different than what I was learning in high school for sure. <laughs> Plus it was the fact that I realized that I had more of an excitement for talking to people and doing sports, which led me to sports journalism. And then when I got to sports journalism, it led me to realizing that the pay and the hours really don't excite me enough to want to keep pursuing that profession. And then look, now I'm a, a book author, speaker, you know, trying to build my own business, you know, it's just, like you say, I do get how just new experiences change your perspective to how you process everything. And I guess in the words of D Gary V, change your mind isn't bad. All they're just saying is that you're thinking critically about what's going on around you. That's it. That's exactly it. So when you got to, you know, your job, I know you said it started out kind of low for B2B sales. What was that path like trajectory? Because I know you said that at one point, like you were their guy or one of their guys as far as, you know, you consistently were having a lot of different appointments, like the company trajectories was building at an alarming rate. So what was that path like far as the growth in that company? Yeah, so um, and I think what's important to understand is uh, life isn't linear, right? I mean, mm. things happen all the time, and you learn, and you get thrown opportunities. And at the time when you have opportunities, you have a choice to make what you want to do. So when I first started, um, I really struggled. You know, you know, and BB sales is something totally new to me. Uh, I was used to, at this point, from a sales perspective, people coming in. So I worked retail before, so people coming mm. in, selling them. People renting a car, coming to me, I'm selling them. So... I, I thought that was like that's, that's what it was gonna be like, and I realized real B two B sales, especially in a hunter role, you're out prospecting, so you have to go out and get people to meet with you and have conversations and convert cold traffic into prospects, and that was like a whole new thing. So making cold calls on the phone, cold emailing, walking in the door face to face, those things were all really new to me. And early on, I really struggled. I I, I remember my first day. I went out there, I knocked on 60 doors by foot, booked zero means, closed zero deals. The second day, the exact same thing again. Again, zero deals, booked zero means. So two, within two days, I walked in over 120 businesses by foot, didn't generate any interest at all. And the following two days, I was on the phones calling every single business card m multiple times. And again, by the end of the week, I literally made hundreds of phone calls and had walked in hundreds of doors and had booked zero meetings and close zero deals. So I really struggled, especially early on, trying to figure out how to really, you know, get good at B2B sales. And I really wanted to quit a lot in my first two months. I mean, every day I thought about quitting. I was like, oh, I should quit, I should quit, I should quit. I should do something else. I second guessed myself. I really questioned if I can even do the job. It didn't help that my parents had told me to not take that job. I'm like, oh my God, they were right. <laughs> I should have been an engineer, an accountant, a lawyer, or whatever. I can't, I can't do this. Because it was interesting is um, growing up, I had worked hard. And I just assumed working hard again would just take me to where I want to go. But you start realizing over time, yes, working hard is definitely part of the equation. But if you don't know what you're working hard at, it's hard to get the results that you want. So many people become very busy versus productive. And I was just busy. 
So eventually, once I was able to figure it out, I remember by, by month three, I started figuring it out. I started having success. By month three, I was number one and actually stayed number one for every single, for the next three months in a row. So over four months in a row. And uh, my boss went to me and said, hey, Marcus, uh, you're doing a great job. I want you to go over to this other operation here. And I want you to um, manage two people. We're not going to give you a promotion or a title bump or a pay bump, but I want you to just show us that you have what it takes. Show us you can replicate your results here. Turn this branch around. At this point, this branch had been the worst branch now. Turn this branch around, make them good, and then we'll discuss promoting you. Right? So I'm like, all right. So um, I went to there. I definitely I had to find a struggle with transition to how learn how to lead people, especially as a peer leader. Yeah. Figured out eventually. Had success um, within six months. We took that branch to number one. Uh, we just started just crushing it. And uh, fast forward a little bit, late, little bit later, my boss said, "Hey, listen, he, I got to promote." He's a, he said, "Hey, listen, I want you to do the same thing at a different branch. So did that at a different branch. Did that again. Mm. Promoted me different branch. Did that again. Right. So I had a number of different promotions all throughout. Because at that point, I built multiple seven-figure operations. And since this is a startup division of a major company." I had a lot of eyeballs on me at this point. They're like, wow, this, who's this guy out here who's out there just breaking records and doing all these things? And this is during the last recession. So they're like, wow. And oh, like, dang. Yeah, so they're like, how are, you, how are you doing these things? Really cool. And at that point, you know, it's like, uh, I felt really fortunate, right? You've, you know, and obviously there was struggles all throughout there. Um, at that point, though, you know, I remember I thought to myself, I'm like, I'm doing pretty well here. But I want to level up more. And I knew for me to become next level, because I want to be able to run multiple operations, run bigger sales teams, and bigger teams do more. I would have to probably go somewhere else. I knew if I stayed that with that same company, I could stay there. But given the way the, the biggest business structured, I didn't see that role I wanted to be in opening up, you know, probably the next five or ten years. And for me, being a gung-ho, hungry guy at this point, realizing I love business and I love sales, I'm like, you know what? If I can't have this path here, have this stuck in the same role, let me create my own path somewhere else. And because of the big name of that company, I got recruited nonstop. So I ended up getting recruited by a different company, which is also made a Fortune 500 company, which um, I saw as a huge opportunity with great culture, great upper mobility, great skill development, where I could potentially make that next move. But there's also a fear inside me, Lamar, where, in which I was like, what if everything I did was a fluke? Hmm. What if everything I've done up until this point, at this imposter point, syndrome? Been, yeah, I, I've been I've been outside of uh, been out of college now for about four years. I'm like, can I really do this again? Can I really do this again? I wasn't really sure. I'm like, can I go somewhere else in a completely different industry and replicate success, or did I just get lucky? Maybe hmm. I just haven't had good timing. Maybe I just got lucky, haven't have good employees, and I don't know. I just there was there's, there's a little bit of anxiety, right? But I figured at this point, you know what, like, I'm pretty young, I'm 25 years old at this point, I'm like, I can go make this change. You know, yes, I just bought a house, yes, I just got married, but my risk level is pretty low. If I'm, if I'm making a change, I should do it now and give myself time to figure things out and hopefully have some success. So I made a, a very educated guess. At this point, you know, I just finished my MBA as well. I'd done that as well. I, I built all these things up. I'm like, I'm going to make this move. But here's, here's the kicker. It was actually a two-step demotion. It was a two-step two demotion to redo everything. I'm like, can I redo it again? 
So I said, I'm, I'm going to go for it. I took a two-step demotion to this completely different role in a whole new company where no one knew uh, my background, my history, my track record, anything else I've done. I'm just a new guy, <laughs> okay? I'm just a new B2B sales professional. Let's just see what he's got. Yeah, I heard he's in okay, but who knows? They don't care what you've done at other companies. They want to know what can you do with this company. So when I, I made that jump over, uh, super scary, and I found out pretty quickly the team I, I, I jumped in, I, I joined, was actually the worst team uh, in the region, in the worst region in the company. Oh I'm my like, God. Oh boy. That's not good. Now, <laughs> fortunately, because of my background of being able to build something from scratch, I just started executing, right? Started getting results, started started turning some heads, right? And started started climbing up the rankings and people were like, oh, who's this, who's this rookie, rookie guy? Now, six months in, my sales manager quits, my sales director quits, my vice president quits. So every, every level above me that hired me all quit. So I'm like freaking out at this point. I'm like, oh boy. You're like, where's the leadership? Like everybody like, quit. Yeah. I'm like, but more importantly, where's the leadership that knows who I am? Yes. Where's the leadership that knows my background? They're all gone now. And if I, if I want to become the next sales leader for them, they're going to probably promote someone who they already know who's been there for a long time, right? If, someone, if, if they're outside looking at it, that's what they're going to say. So uh, I remember, uh, fortunately, I interviewed for that sales manager role. Right? Because my boss is gone. I interviewed for it. And we had a whole new VP. I ended up fortunately winning that interview, uh, again, over multiple people that way more, a longer track record, got the, got the role, then took over the worst team in the company, right? Turned the team around. We started breaking records, you know, just crushing it, grew that sales team to three times the size. We were just breaking every single record that the locations ever had, uh, developed all these superstar reps. From there, I got promoted to be, a, and the, by, by the way, most people did not get promoted to be a sales in that company until usually about three to four years in the company. So I did about nine months. And then once I took a team over, um, I, took, I turned the team around, we started crushing it. Within four and a half years of, the, of my overall tenure with the company, I became a regional director in the company. And most time they do not promote people to be a director in the company until eight to 10 years in. So I, I did about half the time. So at that point then I had about, I had a sales team of uh, about 80, over 80 plus employees over multiple states. Took that, we were middle of the pack at that point, that re, that, that market took over, took it over, took it to the top, started breaking records, crushing it as well. We just started to send a, send a tone of how things are done. And then I uh, grew that sales team to, you know, over hundred plus employees. And then eventually I made, I made the transition from there into, uh, into my own business. Now, now, even though it seems like a linear process, it was full of mishaps and challenge and obstacles all throughout. I just told you the short story behind it, but the reality is, is um, when you are out there and you are achieving success, oftentimes it's the same path for failure as well. And being aware you are going to stumble across these challenges as part of your journey to success. Uh, that's even more in depth than when you told me the story before we had recorded a podcast. <laughs> so that's unreal. I mean, I think most people have those kind of self doubts when you do something and you do it so well the first time, you're like, okay, is this a duplicatable system? Because anything could, anybody could do anything well for the first time. I mean, if you compare it to athletics, you'll always have the guys that win comeback player of the year, the most improved player of the year. But the difference between most improved player of the year and LeBron James is LeBron James does it every single year right. and yeah it gets to the point where you're like oh he does it every single year but that's the greatness of it you know being able to 
duplicate that. So apparently he's got a system that he's doing that gets him that level of success in his profession. And just like you look at businesses like McDonald's, Subway, et cetera, the way you get to that level of success is, you know, we need another markets. Hence why they had you, you know, take over the worst region and exactly. let you do your thing. So I think that's the, the biggest part of it, like being able to make yourself duplicatable because that's how you achieve long-term success. You have to have duplicatable systems. Exactly right. Exactly right. Oh my God. Oh my God. So now where you're at, at your point, you know, you're been building your business with, you know, six figure sales Academy. What, where do you see yourself like going now? I mean, you starting to gain, you know, a lot of trajectory. Uh, if I recall correctly, I know you said around late 2019 is when you started, you know, this business of yours. So what's next for you? Yeah. So it actually started as a side hustle while I was in corporate America that eventually just exploded in growth and gave me the opportunity to be able to make it full time. Right. And so it's a, I feel really fortunate. We started your episode, right? So we went full time in at the basically September, 2019. And uh, we've been really fortunate. I mean, there's challenges just like anything else, right? We're, we're seeing explosive growth. And, you know, I think this year, I think last, last time I checked, we we're doing like 2000% growth over the prior year. I mean, we, we, you know, we're growing like crazy right now. We're hiring more people or it's, we're messing into the business more. Um, so my goal with the business overall, my, my big, my big mission is to be able to directly work with over a million B2B sales professionals to help them earn an additional 50 to a hundred thousand dollars more than they're already earning. You know, and that's, that's really what we are striving towards because, um, I'm a firm believer. If you're a sales professional, whatever level you're at, maybe you are brand new. Maybe you were a past version of mini Marcus. Your base salary is twenty nine thousand five hundred. To go from twenty nine thousand five hundred to earning eighty thousand or a hundred thousand plus in one year is a really big feat, right? If you know, if if it's later on, maybe it's you're earning two hundred thousand dollars and you're earning two fifty to three hundred thousand dollars more, or or to get to that level is really game change is a game changer for your life. So for me, it's being able to do that and scale up and build a business now to be able to truly impact sales professionals to help them get to those levels. Now, it's not all about money. I don't feel people misunderstand that because uh, money is not everything. But because I grew up so poor, I also understand money gives you options. Yes, money gives does. you choices. Um, so many choices. And it's not about, you know, spending big money and buying expensive things. It gives you choice of what you want to do with it, whether you want to attend better schools, buy a better home, eat healthier food, uh, be able to afford healthcare or whatever, uh, send your kids to the best schools for education. It gives you choices versus being tied down by debt and everything else. So that's why for me, it's one of the greatest things are when I'm working with sales professionals and they are able to not just achieve the income, but their life changes because of who they become. They are more confident, they are more focused, they get better results, they are happier, they feel more fulfilled. Those are the side effects of being the best version of them. And money is a side effect of that as well. So for the future, for the business, it's continue to grow and expand that, make our products and services even better and better to give people faster results. 
but then also be able to impact them on a whole new level. Now, down the road, I'll probably build some other future programs as well, but that's our primary focus for, for the next five years. I like that plan. No, that, I mean, that makes sense. It's, I mean, if you really think about it, it's essentially, you, like you said, you take in everything that you learn through your career, you know, with these other companies and you're like, okay, this is what I did for them. I know I can do this in general. Like I know I have a duplicatable system. Like, let me teach other people who are really invested and interested in learning about this knowledge. And if I can do that, then long-term my impact be exponential because it's like, I just thought about this quote earlier before we had, uh, before I were recording this podcast, but it's like the, the old saying, if you, you know, teach a, if you catch, if you get you fish for somebody, you can get, they learn, they get something to eat or something like that. But if you teach a man for fish, then yeah, if he'll you teach eat a forever. man to fish, you know, he'll eat for a day. You teach a man, uh, if, or no, if, uh, uh, if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Yes. You teach a man how to fish, he'll eat for life. Yes. I'll butcher that, but you knew exactly what I was talking I knew, about. I knew what you meant, the man. Same, I knew what you meant. <laughs> this, yes, the exact same principle, exact same principle. So, yeah. So, in order to wrap this up, the last thing I'm going to do is do what I do with everybody, and that's play a game. For you, this is something newer that I created. Called rapper rapid fire questions. So I'm gonna just ask you five questions and just give me the quickest response that you can give me. All right. All so right. the first one is if you could have one book, one TV show, and one meal on the secluded island, what would it be? All right. If there's one book, it would start with the book first. It would be probably the Code of the Extraordinary Mind. Just one of my favorite books all around. It's about life and rules. Uh, if I could have one meal for the rest of my life, hmm, probably pizza. I don't know. <laughs> You're the second person to say that. Pizza is fire, so I don't blame I, I, you. I love, I love pizza. I love pizza. Uh, if it's see, one TV show, is that right? Yeah, one TV show. If it's one TV show, man, probably The Office. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how many times That's a I've good one. Office. That's a good one. But I watch it, right? And then uh, was it? What was the other part of the question? Was that it? Yeah, I think that is it. One, yeah, one book, one TV show, one meal. So pizza, Boom. the office, and the code of extraordinary mind. You got it. Boom. All right. Next question. When you think of success, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Mm, freedom. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think that's yeah. that's pretty spot on. Yeah. Success creates freedom in so many different ways. All right. What's your favorite movie? Mm, favorite movie? I'm trying to think now. What's, what, last time I was probably saw, oh, you know what? It sounds terrible, but, um, you know, I love The Wolf of Wall Street. Not necessarily that he went and scammed a bunch of people. Not necessarily that. But just, just, just the overall, just the movie itself is just an entertaining movie. But yeah. also, it shows really the power of being able to leverage, leverage the key, you know, the key parts of influence to get people to do what you want. And when you do it unethical, like Jordan Belfort did, it's obviously a terrible thing. But if you leverage it in the right way, it's a very powerful thing. You can build something truly great. Yeah, because I mean, I always think of the main. You say, "Say I'm not going to do it," and everyone just cheering. You say, "No." 
I'm not, I'm not gonna do it. And everyone just cheering. So yeah, he definitely obviously he definitely had a lot of influence to even be scamming people from the get-go. But right. right. Yeah. If you can get on a 15-minute phone call with any entrepreneur or business owner that you don't already know personally, who would you call? Alive or dead? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say alive, dead or alive, to be to give to give you some wiggle room. All right, if if, if it was dead, probably Steve Jobs, mm. right? Yeah. He's one of the most brilliant minds out there. For alive, I mean, it would have to be either Elon Musk or Mark Cuban. I like Mark Cuban. I think that's a very slept on one because to me. You look at a guy who obviously was not known for anything sports related. And now every time his name comes to mind, the first thing I think about it is, oh, you're talking about the Mavericks owner. Right. So exactly the way right. he was able to step into this new business and then really just make the Mavericks a powerhouse sports franchise shows his level of commitment to, you know, running a organization mm -hmm. and putting all the pieces in place so everyone can be successful, which is hard for a lot of people who don't already have sports backgrounds or something exactly. kind of close to that market. So, yeah, I definitely like Mark a lot. All right, last one. What song or album are you plan listening to on repeat right now? Mm, let's take a look. Um, well, it might be because my kid loves the song too, so we play it nonstop. Um, the weekend blinding lights. I yeah, a lot. That's a good save one. your tears. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. That's a good yeah. One. Both by the weekend. Save so. your tears. It's catchy. Hey, yeah, I mean, it is catchy. Stop. Yeah, it is catchy. I mean, it was like it was definitely. Uh, yeah, it was it was catchy. So I don't blame you. I do not blame you. Okay. That's all we have for this week's episode of the Jack of All Trades podcast. Make sure you check out the next episode on Anchor, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, make sure you get my book, Jack of All Trades, Rise with Party Promoter. I'm currently working on the sequel. I'll give you updates on how I'm going to do with the timeline as far as the publishing because I'm probably going to have to change that. And Also, I'm going to put Marcus's info in the bio as well. Definitely got to throw him a follow. He has some fire content. And that's it. LA out. Hey.